Girlfriends, episode number 280, The Philosophy of Motherhood with Dr. Janice Breidenbach. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance and joy in family living. This week I'm talking with Dr. Janice Breidenbach about a new course that she's teaching at Ave Maria University, The Philosophy of Motherhood. A fascinating conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. Let's go. Hello, you. Glad you are here. Thanks for joining me on this newest episode of the Girlfriends Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, I want to give you a special welcome. Thank you for being here. Special bonus for everyone listening is you were prayed for. I always pray for the people who listen to my podcast before I record them, so you get that bonus grace today. And if you're a long-time or sometime listener, welcome back. I'm always glad to be able to connect with you here So today's topic, we're talking about the philosophy of motherhood, which is the name of a new course that's available at Ave Maria University. I was excited for this opportunity to talk with Janice Breidenbach, who's the professor who put the course together and taught it for the first time this past spring. Because as some of you know, and I've shared here on the podcast before, I've had a few kids go through Ave Maria University. So I'm a big fan of that place. I've got two incoming freshmen for this fall. And so, you know, the legend goes on. And I, I love that place. Been very grateful for the blessing it's been for me and for my family, for my kids. Great things are going on down there in South Florida. But I really loved this conversation. Honestly, I can't wait to have Dr. Janice Breidenbach come back because she said she would. Because this conversation was really rich and there was a lot there and there's a lot I'd like to talk with her about more. Some kind of topics that branch off of this philosophy of motherhood and the way that we teach it and the way our culture treats women and treats motherhood and the lens through which we look at all of these things is something, as you all know, I've spent a lot of my adult years thinking about these things and sharing about these things and, you know, diving deep into these topics. So I was grateful for the opportunity to talk with Dr. Breidenbach about this course. And I hope you're going to be blessed by it too. After the conversation, do stay tuned because we're going to be continuing our series of mini book club episodes here. So usually at the end of the show, I like to share some listener feedback or a question from one of you. But during these few weeks here um, in the summertime, I'm doing a mini book club there looking at my new book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, which is available from ascensionpress.com. You can get it there. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. Very soon, you're going to be able to get it on Audible as well. But this week, we're going to be looking at Chapter 5, Slowing Down, Seeking God in Stillness. So stay tuned after the interview for that. But for now, take a listen to my recent conversation with Dr. Janice Breidenbach. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Girlfriends. I've got a special guest that's joining me here today on the podcast. Dr. Janice Chick Breidenbach is an associate professor of philosophy at Ave Maria University, and she's a member of the Aquinas Institute at Blackfriars Hall, Oxford. She holds degrees in philosophy, public policy, and music performance from Princeton University, the University of Texas at Austin, and the University of St. Andrews in the UK. In addition to teaching a wide range of courses, at Ave Maria University, including the philosophy of motherhood, philosophy of art and beauty, ethics and logic. Dr. Breidenbach has given countless public talks in the US and in the UK relating to womanhood and feminism, beauty and the home, the philosophy of fashion, marriage and friendship and bioethics. Her research specialty is in the philosophy of action and law, and she's completing a book on the philosophy of the First Amendment. Dr. Breidenbach, welcome to Girlfriends. Thanks so much, Danielle. This is great to be here. I'm happy to have you. Yeah, so you've got this really um, rich background that you share a lot of your academic background in your bio, but maybe just to get us started, I can't wait to talk more about your new course in the philosophy of motherhood. But before we do that, give us a little bit more of your own, maybe some of your personal background and your faith background as well. Sure, um, I would love to. So I'm um, one of three uh, born to uh, immigrants from Taiwan. So I grew up, uh, I'm Chinese American Mm -hmm. uh, and my mother is Protestant. Um, She was converted to Protestantism um, as a a young girl in Taiwan. She made my father convert as well um, when they got married. (laughs) And I grew up going to all sorts of, you know, I mean, we most we went mostly to Baptist churches and I grew up playing the violin and the piano in these churches. 
Um, I remember once I wanted to play the Ave Maria by Schubert um, on yes. the piano, and I was told um, that I could not play that. <laughs> so oh. that was my first experience really with, you know, sort of understanding a little bit about Catholicism. And it actually was through music, I mean, that I got to know um, the church. Uh, mm -hmm. So I was in the Princeton University Orchestra all four years, and um, there were uh, people in the orchestra, uh, actually, uh, Ryan Anderson, who people may have heard of, like he's a well-known author and yes. president of the EPPC. So he was in the percussion se section oh, wow. <laughs> at the time, and I was in the violin section, and we got to know one another, and he introduced me to Catholicism, really. Like he told really? me about the faith, and then I met my godmother. So Ryan became my godfather, and then my godmother uh, was a very gifted uh, vocalist in the Notre Dame folk choir. And so um, really it was through music really that, you know, uh, friends brought me into the church. And mm -hmm. so I so I converted my senior year at Princeton and, you know, then really felt like God was calling me to go to grad school in philosophy. And, you know, I mean, the academic stuff for me has always been united with, you know, my conversion because it all happened mm -hmm. around the same time. Um, in some way, in many ways, I think my conversion sort of gave me the courage to pursue philosophy because to be honest with you, my parents were very much against this Were idea. they? They probably yes. wanted a really practical course for you. Oh, yes. Well, they wanted practical, they wanted profitable. And, and a PhD in philosophy does not suggest either of those things. I tell you, that's, but, that's my dad. Yep, yeah. sure, I know. Right. So um, the, the way that I got my parents to agree to this plan was by telling them I would um, pursue a degree in philosophy of law. So the word law sort oh, of okay. something practical. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I genuinely am interested in that. Um, uh, and so so I've, you know, been um, working on that sort of, I mean, very much in a way that I think is also sort of united with, you know, my, my broad philosophical interests, right, in human mm -hmm. life, right? And I think like a true philosopher is someone who, you know, lives life with eyes wide open, right, and sort of is really curious about the things that we find most familiar to us, right, including like parenthood, right, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, something that most of us experience, right, at one point yes. or another. I mean, all of us experience what it is to be a daughter or a son, to mm -hmm. be a sibling. I mean, these are human relationships that are so sort of familiar to us, but are also the most important and also, also sometimes mysterious to us. Um, and so, so all of that has been kind of on a continuum for me. Um, I, I, I should probably say, too, that, you know, being raised in the professional milieu of Princeton, right, like sort of really did leave me with, you know, impressions of feminism, right? Sort sure. of so we were very much told as young women, right, sort of, you know, getting married in college or even right out of college, right, is is definitely not done. Right. Um, it's, you know, th there's definite stigma against that sort of thing, you know, and if you're not going to grad school or if you don't have a high paying job out of college, then you know, people are a little worried about you. Right, yeah, right, right. And they're going to be worried about you if you get married right away. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I think, you know, I did grow up in that kind of, you know, cultural pressure, sort of that that kind of, I mean, these implicit assumptions about what, what being a woman means and mm -hmm. what being a mother means, right? And you you can be a woman, you should be a woman first, right? We're told, and a mother second, maybe many, many years later, right? Right. And, you know, I mean, it, it did so happen that I didn't meet the man who is today my husband until much later, right? Mm -hmm. And and in many ways, like this was just the what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, this happened right. to a lot of people, right? Um, I was very much open to marriage. I just didn't meet, you know, the right person until later. Um, I married when I was 30. And then we weren't able to have a child for several years. So, mm -hmm. um, and when we did conceive, uh, I have to be very honest, like I was very... Just, you know, the, the, I mean, there's no other way to describe it, but like very fear. I was scared. I was yeah. actually scared of, of becoming a mother. Sure. Um, you know, I was not sure, you know, would I survive, you know, child? <laughs> I mean, I, I take it like most women have this fear, right? Of I mean, course. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, as someone who, you know, for, for all of my life, like I've been fortunate enough to actually finish my PhD and then like get this wonderful job at Ave Maria University, which I love. You know, and I love teaching. I love the research I do. Um, and you know, I, I wondered, like, would I would I be able to continue doing that? Sure. Right? Is motherhood like a kind of you know 
right, sort of all or nothing sort of proposition, right? right? So, so I had a lot of trepidation going into it, to be very mm -hmm. honest. And, sure. um, and a lot of that is, I think, from the sort of, I mean, if you may put it like the trauma of growing up in like postmodern feminist sort of. Sure. Uh, yeah, I totally get that. Culture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I totally um, get that. And I love yeah. that you described that in the, at the university, that it was that kind of feeling. Because I know, I, I personally experienced that. You know, I was the only, the only person in my graduating senior class of college wearing an engagement ring. Like wow. I was getting wow. married That's and amazing. it was, and I had professors who were kind of raising their eyebrows. I had yeah. one in specifically who said to me right. like, don't wear that to a job interview, oh you know, gosh. like, yeah. and, and, you know, that I very much cool. experienced that <laughs> conflict. And, but mm -hmm. even so, even though I, you know, that was my goal and everything, I still experienced that conflict. I think it's very normal right. to feel right. that, that yeah. kind of fearfulness of the unknown yeah. and exactly. like, what is this thing I'm stepping mm -hmm. into? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's very normal. So I love yeah. that your, your personal background has kind of shaped your the way that you're approaching this academically. Oh, oh whole, absolutely. I mean, the whole thing, right? I mean, I, I think for me, the, the philosophic vocation is 100% wrapped up in one's personal life. And you can, you see this a lot with academics, like, yeah. you know, the, what they work on is very autobiographical. There's like always something, you know, personally motivating it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I've thought a lot about motherhood and, you know, as it, as it was happening to me, and um, I just thought, I remember thinking like, this is actually the most interesting philosophical experience I've ever, <laughs> like, th this is just like provoking, like, I mean, not, not, I don't want it to sound like I'm like using my child, right? Right, <laughs> like, right, right. Like, it, it was not like that at all. It was just, right, that like, this is an experience, this is an experience like no other, mm -hmm. right? And, and again, like, I wouldn't want to say like, motherhood is an experience, right? Right. It's a vocation, right? And and there, and it demands something of us that I think is so enlightening, sort of about sort of you know our our spiritual vocation, like our faith, right, and sort of the reality of the human person too, right. Sort of there's so many things wrapped up in it, right. Um, it changes like every human relationship that we are in, right, when it happens. Yeah. Um, and I just remember thinking, this is so rich, right. Like this is such a rich. It's it's also overwhelming, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I took a lot of notes just because I thought like, this is so, this is such a gift really. You right. know? Like, I just thought not only like, obviously like having a baby and, and, and the baby being healthy and my being fine right after the birth and, but, but also just to have the leisure to right sort of spend time with one's child. Right. right. And think about this sort of what this means, right. What is the meaning of, of this? Like, I just, I just thought like, this is so it's it's just like it's a gift that I've that I haven't experienced ever, right? And mm -hmm. and it and it comes out of marriage, right? <laughs> and, um, right. and so yeah, I mean there, there was just like so so many rich things, right? That that I felt coming my way. Yes, <laughs> had a baby. Um, I mean even I'm gonna say like even in the ninth month of pregnancy, where every woman says, right? Um, I'd rather. Right. Okay. Like by the eighth and a half, right? If the baby comes a little bit early, it's fine. It's right? totally, totally fine. fine with me, right? Yes. Um, but. I mean, even even then, right? Like through the through the suffering that that is. I mean, there's so mm -hmm. much um, meaning in that and significance. So, yeah. um, I was at Penn doing a research fellowship um, in 2019 when our provost asked me if I wanted to teach this course, and which is said, the philosophy of motherhood. Yes, yeah, mm -hmm. and and actually the the course was the idea. Uh, really, it's the brainchild of um, Tom Monahan who um, wow. has a lot of really brilliant ideas. And among, you know, this, this idea was, look, I mean, motherhood is uh, something that most of our students are going to experience, right? Parenthood is something most mm -hmm. of our students will experience. And it's hard. Right. It's challenging, right? Um, and, you know, we're a university that doesn't just, right, sort of do things that we think are academically prestigious, right, like what, what other universities might think, like, right. okay, we need to do this because, right, then the Secular Academy will sort of, you know, sort of flatter us, right? Right. Um, but we, you know, I mean, I think, like, we have this great opportunity at a place like Ave Maria to really, you know, sort of... Um, uh, expand, you know, the, the, the foundation that we have in seeing like academics as being united with like our, our spiritual life. Right. Um, and right. The, the vocation really, I mean, it is true that like every student, you know, we have this great opportunity to, to, um, engage with, um, young people 
usually age as 18 through 22, but some of them are even younger than that. Some of them are a, a little older than that. Mm-hmm. Um, some, are, some are much older than that. Like the, But like most of our students are 18 to 22 and mm-hmm. most of them are not married and, um, and or, right, sort of, um, you know, confirmed in like a religious vocation right. like, or something. And so it's sort of like an optimal time to not only give them this like incredible academic formation that we do give them, um, but also show them how that academic learning sort of illuminates, right, sort of all of the needs in the human heart, right, that that we want to sort of meet in, in right. vocation. Like when we talk about vocation, the vocation of marriage, and which includes motherhood and fatherhood, and the vocation to be a priest. And so, so I thought it was very natural that in my classroom I had um, it was a sold out um, class right away. So we had to actually double the number of students that we could let in. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were happy to do that. So they and... were super excited about this topic. I know my daughter, Juliet, yeah. was one of them. She was thrilled to be able to get she... a seat in the course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Juliet was, yeah, Juliet was front row, sort of always there. <laughs> right. <laughs> really enthusiastic. Um, and and most of the students were women. Mm-hmm. Right. Who like on the first day when when everyone went around and introduced themselves, they were women who said, I would love to be a mother someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a smattering of men. So I did have about five or six men, actually, um, who said, well, they didn't really say, like, I want to marry a woman like who wants to be a mother. Someday, right. like Some of these women. But, you know, they, they said, well, I would like to be a father. And, yeah. you know, it is the course definitely also engage, you know, sort of engaged on this question of, of fatherhood, mm-hmm. um, actually much more so than I had anticipated. So I was very glad um, that that happened. So it was it was really, really an, a phenomenal opportunity to see, right, the way in which, you know, academic life, the university sort of subject can can really unfold these like really personal ways, right? That students, right, yeah. sort of sort of engaging them really holistically. Um, I think like very rarely, I mean, sometimes the subject does that, but right. you know, yeah. Um, I love that. I think that's yeah. so beautiful. And I, I love that this course existed when I first saw it. I thought, oh my gosh, that's so great because <laughs> you're exactly right. That's what these young people need is this kind of formation at that stage in their life. When I was um, going to college years ago, I did take a course, um, it was theology of the family. And I look oh, back right. on that and I think yeah. there was like the most practical course. Right. I didn't know it at the time. Right. It really yeah. was structural for me for, for right. my vocation yeah. that I ended up stepping into right after college, like I shared. But so I think it's really important that they be having these conversations, mm-hmm. especially yeah. now, because like yeah. you said, you know, this age, postmodern feminism, like what is it? Our world is so messed up about it's the concept so, of what it means yeah. to be a woman, what it means to be a mother, yeah. what it means to have a family that yeah. really we're in crisis mode. Yeah. And so this is part of why, you know, I, I've yeah. shared with people here before on Girlfriends, that I've, you know, I've got, had two kids so far who've gone through right. Ave Maria. I've got two more incoming this fall. It's been a wonderful place for our kids. And I just think this is a great opportunity for the university to really, I mean, you know, I love hearing that this came from Tom Monahan himself yeah. because <laughs> this is like, this is serving our church. This is serving the Absolutely. future of the church. Like Absolutely. this is what, this is the building blocks of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I really, I saw each and every one of our students in this class, you know, as not just, you know, receiving this, like for the sake of their own families, but like also being ambassadors for the message, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, the, I mean, it's not just a message, it's the truth, right. Which is that right. motherhood is, is really actually fulfilling, you know, and like, I, I, I mean, when you talk about postmodern feminism and, and the mess that it's created, I mean, I felt this way, like when I, got pregnant and became a mother, I just thought, wow, like I've been deceived. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been told a lie, you know, all yes. these, for the last like two decades of my life. Like I've been told that being a mother, right, is going to like confer some kind of subordinate status on you. Like yeah. you're going to be hurting, you're going to be humiliated, <laughs> right? Like you're, you're going to be out of the workforce yes. like, and therefore like have no human dignity whatsoever. Yeah, sort of well, that's like, the message, yeah. right? And yeah, like, I remember years ago, like when I very first became a mom, like I went into this just wanting fully to embrace this vocation of motherhood, you know, having in mind teachings of St. John Paul II on the dignity right. of women. I had all the right stuff, right? right. But amazing. even so, yeah. I found myself conflicted because some of that cultural message seeps so into our thing. hearts. We don't yeah. even know it until we're face right. to face with it. But I had right. some of those same conflicts, like, am I going to disappear as a person? 
person or resenting some aspects of it. Of course, there's a lot about it that is hard, but what we, what we need, and and we can get into some of the specifics in the course, Mm -hmm. um, is, is that message that this is a vocation and not only that, but like, that we're made for it, that this is where we find peace and balance and lasting fulfillment. Like what a lie we've been fed. Um, you know, in, um, in a book I wrote years ago, Momnipotent, I shared the story of looking back on Sesame street of all things (laughs) and how these Muppet characters were Mm -hmm. singing this little song, which was a catchy little song. There's nothing we women can't be. (laughs) <laughs> and the refrain, and it was a great little song. You know, they're saying we wow. can be astronauts, we can yeah. be lumberjacks, and all of yeah. these vocations yeah. I saw being paraded before my eyes as a young child. And I reflected mm-hmm. back on it when I was older and when I was a mom, and I thought, why didn't one of those things say be a mother? Mm-hmm. Why? Like, yeah. what was the agenda there? Yeah. And that's the, that's the insidious yeah. way that our culture kind of captures yeah. the hearts of young women. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and people are not happy. Right. I mean, it's, right. That's right. The, yeah. goal here is In the end, that's the tragic and, answer. Like it's yeah. the expense of our own happiness. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of feminism just actually doesn't care. Right. It just says that and they have their agenda. Yeah. Like what matters is that, you know, you as a, a college graduate woman, right. Like fly the banner for feminism. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like your personal fulfillment. Sort of. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. crazy. And so it's everything from pop culture to even in academics that we're kind of getting fed these yeah. lies or, yeah. you know, and, and so many women I find, you know, they'll find, they'll buy into the lie that, yeah. you know, that this is how you're going to feel fulfilled is chasing Right. In my in my opinion, there's nothing more sexist than telling women what their goals should be. You right. Know, exactly. Yeah. Telling women yeah. what what they should value right. and that they're male yeah. values in the end. You know. Right. That, yeah. I mean, yeah. goodness. If, you, if you're opposed to female submission, then stop doing that. Right. Oh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Stop telling me what <laughs> yeah. I should think. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's part yeah. of the frustration there. But Definitely. you know that yeah. that's the sad thing though that you wind up feeling disillusioned because what the culture is telling you is one thing. Yeah. What's written in your heart. Right. Right. Is something entirely. You know, I, I think. Yeah. And I. I think like there's there's been some negative consequence in that um, that not not just sort of in the way that we're talking about, but also sort of among good intention people, right? Who then mm-hmm. I think like react very very strongly in a kind of maybe extreme way to that, right? And and then say right that a woman um, should devote like 100 percent of her time to her children and to right. home, right? So that there's no space for creatively being an entrepreneur, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like yourself, right. Right. Um, Or, you know, having a job, I think a college professor, like I'm very lucky that my time is extremely flexible. Like I can decide like when I want to do something, right. And Mm -hmm. whenever, right. Outside of like lectures, which are, you know, those are scheduled, but outside of that, you know, and I'm only on campus twice a week, actually um, for, for teaching, um, I have ultimate flex time. And I think that's really what women need. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this ability to be creative, right, and fulfilling like these these also aspects like the talents that that women have, right, and and that we can broadcast, transmit, right, to the world, um, yes, and and not without shifting away that ultimate priority to our families, which right. I think every woman in her heart, this is, it's not like the Catholic Church is saying women have just have this duty, right? We just mm-hmm. have this duty to our families that like we have to, right? I mean, I think. In becoming a mother, I think I was surprised most of all by how much I wanted to be with my baby. Right. right? I did not want to leave his side. Mm-hmm. And like even the thought of leaving him for, I don't know, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> for some time, like actually made me like feel very upset mm-hmm. um, after he was born. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, just the, you know, I, I think like women, if they really want to help other, you know, women, um, mm-hmm. like we need to, you know, sort of acknowledge that women have these needs, mm-hmm. right. And that mothers have these needs, right. right. Um, and that sort of outsourcing childcare for, you know, like most of the day is probably not meeting women's needs sort of. Right. In a way. No. Right? Um, yeah. <laughs> no. And that's what I find yeah. so ironic and, and frustrating too, is that part of this dynamic is it's all just focused on sort of a male perspective, right? Like male perspective, well, anybody can do that job, right? So you can just outsource it and that solves the problem and you're, you're free to, you know, seek your fulfillment in the workplace, which that doesn't solve my problem at all. Right. Right. And and what you're describing, it wouldn't have solved your problem. So I like what you're saying about that. We need more flexibility. We need more creative options for work opportunities. And I think, and ideally that's, that's what 
I think is the feminization of work culture. And that's what we really need because up until now, I feel like we've been kind of buying into this, this male structure, right? Mm -hmm. Like even all the way to like putting on the suit and right. you know, like I look at some of yeah. like women's career attire, I'm like, oh, it's not God. a very feminine look. Like, no. you know, yeah. yeah. And and yeah. you're so right that what we bring to the workplace, whether you're in a boardroom or you're you're working as a cashier at Walmart or you're yeah. teaching the classroom, right. we bring the gift of our femininity. Exactly. That's yeah, I mean that's irreplaceable. Yeah. I mean, I actually think a lot of the older feminists, like the first wave feminists, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I quite sympathize with a lot of their, you know, sure. a lot of these. I actually just gave a talk at the university to the students. Um, they asked me to give a talk on the philosophy of fashion. Um, so I actually, love that topic. Like That's enough. Saying, We're going to have to have you saying. back on for that one. <laughs> it was really fun. So like I decided this time because I've given talks about fashion before I give a talk on beauty and fashion to the Fashion Institute of Technology. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago. Um, but this time I decided to weave in like the themes of feminism and the way feminism have changed like women's attire. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what a lot of the first wave feminists are reacting to, right? I mean, the attire is, a, a, it's, it really is a symbol of a philosophy, right? So, so like a lot of the first wave feminists are responding to like the constricting bodices and corsets, right? That like right. women are forced to wear. Um, you know, and and one could also group into this like the um, the bound feet, right? That that Chinese women, sure. right? Sort of. Um, I don't know anyone in my family that did, but I actually I knew I had a friend at Princeton whose grandmother had had um, wow. you know these mutilated feet. It was crazy, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, so there, there's something there, right? It's For like, sure. Look, I mean, women have been mistreated, and women have a have mistreated themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Sort of sort of within these sort of social structures. And they were moving to rectify that, right? And say, look, we have, you know, equal dignity, right? To the men around us. But yeah, I mean, what you're mentioning, like the power suits that like women right. wear and like essentially like, look, just like men's, right? right. Um, suiting. And yeah, I mean, I think like that too is a metaphorical, like sort of way of communicating, like we are equal to men. Like we are interchangeable with men. Like there's not, we have no difference, right? Like you can see that through our clothes, right? Right. Um, and like, we will work in the same workplace with men and we will pretend like we don't have children. We'll leave our wedding rings at home. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know? um, and yeah, I guess, I guess like, I just, I'm totally with you and thinking like, we've really lost an opportunity, right. As, as women who are educated and intelligent and know how to articulate now, right? Is more than ever, right? We 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 are like women are so talented, and yet we're still we're falling into this trap where you know we are still trying to act just like the men, right? And when the truth is, right, you're you're saying like this male kind of dominated way of thinking about things, like right. yeah, I mean, and I think like often you see that in the workplace too, right? For this sure, male dominated idea that you be in the office and you do your work in the office. And if you have a, you know, you don't bring your kid to the office, you definitely don't do no. that. <laughs> um, if you have a kid at home, there's no way you could possibly be getting work done. Right. 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 Um, when, when in fact, like women, right. For centuries have always multitasked and like done work with children tumbling all over the place. And, right. Right. And yeah. in fact, like, I think it's part of the family. I mean, psychologists are showing this more and more. I was discussing this with my students and at part of the course, mm -hmm. right. Psychologists are showing more and more how, you know, since ancient times, right. Like it's, it's part and parcel, like children's toys and books actually too are kind of modern innovation, right. Like the, the main sort of way in which children used to occupy themselves at home is to imitate their parents, right. And to mm -hmm. do what their parents are doing and to, you know, pick up like household activities, what we call chores now today, right? Right. And like, we think we need to like pay an allowance for this sort of thing, right? But psychologists are saying like, no, don't do the allowance, don't do it, right? So it's interesting. Like I, I'm not there yet. And in, mm -hmm. in my, you know, motherhood, my son is almost three now. Right. Um, and uh, we hope we'll have more. But um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I, I can well appreciate it. It's like a difficult thing. And yeah, we have plenty of toys here. But yes, <laughs> um, you yes. know, I mean, there's it's nothing wrong with toys, but I love what you're yeah. describing because that's <laughs> been my own experience of work because, mm. you know, I shared that I got married right out of college, got pregnant yeah. right away. That was our, yeah. we, we just wanted to have a family. Yeah. And yeah. So we did that. But then it was only once I was pregnant with our fifth that I started doing any kind of uh, freelance writing and a little bit of work that way. And it kind right. of built yeah. from there yeah. to the point where I was, I always worked from home 
And, you know, to the point where I was, I was very much involved in magazine publishing, working full-time from home. And it always was like what you're describing a jumble. You know, I used to, in the beginning, I'd try to compartmentalize like, okay, this is kid time. This is homeschool time. This is work time. And yes, you do need some boundaries, but I feel more often than not, I just needed to have that kind of flow. I needed to be able to take a meeting then go put a load of laundry in, there's right. a baby. Like, yes, and as crazy yes. as it looks yes. from the outside, that's very, yeah. it's a very feminine way of approaching work, truly. Yeah. And we're really fulfilling our gifts as women when we do that. And yes. Yeah. And yeah. I think what a gift yeah. to my family in the end, you know, that we have this example of we're kind of in this together, we're doing this together, yeah. kids are along for the ride. And yeah, right. sometimes sometimes they suffered as a result of it. And sometimes <laughs> I did as a result of it. Yeah. All yeah. part of the process of figuring right. that out. Right. Um, but yeah. I want to know more a little bit more about this course, yeah, the philosophy sure. of motherhood. Can you share with us some of the some of the sources and how you went about choosing what sources you were going to use for that course? Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, we read a lot of Edith Stein. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yeah thinking now about the syllabus. She has this wonderful book called Essays on Women. Yes. Um, that right actually comprises a lot of um, lecture, public lectures she gave. So they're not actually academic papers, um, okay. but they really form, I would say, like um, her, you know, her intellectual sort of body of thought yeah. um, on womanhood and uh, whether women should work. Right. This is like a big question for her. Right. How we can understand like the working woman's various sort of professional vocations, which she says, like, no vocation is barred from women. So in some sense, like, I, what was that? Like the Sesame Street thing? Yes. Or the yeah, there's everything women <laughs> can do. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, Stein would agree with that. Right. But, right. She says that up to a point when this kind of professional work begins to sort of really affect like the woman's ability to be a mother. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something like, where is that point, right? Sort of was one of the sort of contentions, right? Of the, right. Of course, and like a lot of, you know, our students are thinking about this, but, you know, in saying this, right, she said, she's basically saying, look, yeah, I mean, women are, and she's writing in like the 1930s and, and mm-hmm. so, right. So this is actually even before, right. Some of like the, right. the more developed forms of feminism, but she's acknowledging that like women are very gifted and that they have abilities of all kinds that they can pursue, and and yet, right, motherhood is primary, right, in, in this respect, right? It is right. it is actually a priority and um it is a priority that that we commit to and that we work around, right? We mm-hmm. we see if we can work around it. So right. um anyway, sorry to to go on a tangent like that. No, no, but, that's um, good. yeah. So Edith Stein we read several of her essays throughout this course. So that was like one of the main texts. Mm-hmm. Um and then we read a little bit of like ancients. Um so like Plato has like this really interesting text um, called the Symposium. That's actually a symposium, actually, actually a drinking party, but it's a drinking party in which like the various male, they're all men, right. um, male philosophers sitting around drinking and talking about love. And they're, they're each like giving a treatise on, on love. So we read that because I think it was important for students to see the way in which Plato uses childbirth as a kind of metaphor for wisdom. Right. This is like one of the key sort of themes from the symposium. But it's also very male centric in many ways. Right. Yes. Um, like there's a lot of like denigration of actual childbirth. It's like, oh, like no one would want that. Right. Like what we're really aiming for is like spiritual childbirth. Right. <laughs> um, so it's like really funny to read the ancients. Like Aristotle is just like really, he's like really sexist in many ways. Right. Yeah. He just well, like women have like no role to play whatsoever. Even if the baby is like growing inside us, it's surely like the man is doing that work. Right. Even oh my so. gosh. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, but then kind of as an antidote, we also read this wonderful, um, I think very rarely read work by St. Methodius of Olympus. So, so mm-hmm. a saint um, of the church who writes his own symposium, right? And and very explicitly as a kind of antidote to the Platonic oh, sort wow, of male-centered, okay. you know, sort of account of childbirth. Yeah. And St. Methodius basically says, look, men actually play very little part in generation, right? And and, and childbirth. Actually, the, the person who does the most work is the three persons of the Trinity, right? It's like God himself, right? Yeah. It, it, like he locates God himself in the woman's womb, Right. It's like beautiful. building and developing. And so it's like really beautiful, actually, like yeah. the way these like ancients, you know, like right. are thinking about this question already. Right. It's yeah. like very little, like no one almost, I think very few people know about this. Right. Yeah. Who knew? Super, super interesting. 
And we did some work um, looking at sort of sexual ethics. And, you know, I mean, it's pretty important, I think, to get this foundation of like the differences between men and women. So there's a a great philosopher who actually sadly passed away um, just two years ago, right before COVID hit, Sir Roger Scruton, Mm -hmm. um, who I I was very lucky to um, have known. And um, so he has this wonderful book called Sexual Desire, a Philosophical Investigation, which, you know, is, is not an easy read. And it has, you know, it investigates all sorts of questions like pornography and prostitution, like from a philosophical angle. So it's not like necessarily like a comfortable, re- you know, but, right. but Scruton himself is, you know, he has he has his head on straight, right? With like sort of like the, the problems that our society faces. So like, you know, the, yeah. I mean, I, I would definitely recommend this book to, to people. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, we read some um, chapters from Maria Montessori's The Absorbent Mind. Oh, I love that. Um, so yeah, so I know like many Catholic moms are big fans of Montessori, the Montessori yes. method. And, and I had never read anything by Montessori before. So a lot, you know, some of the readings were, you know, ways for me to say, okay, I want to, and I was quite impressed. I was very impressed with like Montessori's, you know, I mean, I know that she has this wonder, she has wonderful schools that are modeled after right. philosophy and like the atrium, you know, mm-hmm. I plan to have Paul Thomas sort of enrolled, you know, once, once he's potty trained, I've been told he has to be potty trained. Yes. But, um, but the absorbent mind, which she wrote in 1949, um, is really, really fantastic. And also like really scientifically up to date. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's philosophical, right? She, like her, one of her major theses is that the child absorbs education in a kind of unconscious way, right? So, and this begins in the womb, right? As yeah. many of us now know, right? So, and, right. and this is also something we focus on in the course. Like there was a blend of, there was a lot of philosophy, there was a lot of theology, but there was also a lot of science actually that I, you know, if I didn't make them read it, like I explained it to them, right? Yes. Like, and like the science of embryology is so interesting. I, I remember being really struck by this when I was pregnant. Like I, I was definitely one of those people who was like obsessed, like every single week I needed to like, yes. know, like, like what's happening. happening now, what's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the more you read about like embryology, the more you think, wow, it's so interesting that, you know, people, when they want a child, when they want the child, they will fully acknowledge, right. All of the very like sort of active capacities that the fetus in the womb has, right. like, that the in the womb has, right. Like everything that the baby, the baby can hear the baby, like, you know, sort of is very aware of lots of things and can do things too. Right. But not so if you don't want the baby, right. Right. Yeah. But like embryology itself and then the science surrounding sort of how, you know, how we know, like what the baby in the womb knows, right. And, and what they understand and what they can do, like is super interesting. And, um, and so we were looking at some of that too. Julian of Norwich was an English anchoress and we read some of her excerpts. Benedict the 16th, you know, was a big fan of, of her actually. Yes. I read um, that for the you, first yeah. time this past year and I really recommend it to everybody. What an amazing, what an amazing book. It's an amazing book. Yeah. And it was not uncontroversial too, right? Because like, like she is making the claim, she seems to be making the claim that like God is a mother, right? Right. And and so this this is, you know, this sounds kind of heterodox, right? <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think what's interesting is she is saying, look, I mean, when you look at motherly love and what it is, right? The kind of mm-hmm. sacrifice that it is, the nourishment of the most utterly dependent and helpless being, right? What more than that can you describe as God's love, right? Like that is God's love, right? Sort of when we understand it that way, right? When we understand Mm -hmm. eternity that way. right? Um, So I think, you know, there's, I don't think she's saying like God is a female. No, right, right. Like he transcends. I didn't take that away at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a very interesting thing to to look at. And um, yeah, I might just mention for, if anyone's interested in this, the uh, sort of biological research on the developing fetus. Um, Janet DiPietro has a really interesting article on that, that, that we looked at. Oh, okay. Um, Is there a link that maybe we could share? Um, Sure. Yeah, I could. I did me after this. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. And uh, we spent a whole session on uh, mothers and feeding, actually, because like this is one of the most interesting aspects. Like I, um, I was not prepared myself for like how interesting and 
valuable like breastfeeding could be mm-hmm. actually I was also not prepared for like how painful it would be at the beginning same no one told me <laughs> no one told me like it's like yeah it's like you think like childbirth is over and you're you're like gonna be in right sort of yes right a I spa, that's like, the number one thing I tell back. people now I'm like okay just so you know yeah, just so like, you know like the like pain hot daggers you. okay yeah, and it's like normal daggers, like exactly. <laughs> yeah I remember asking the nurse like um is this normal <laughs> she's like oh, only yeah, in the beginning normal. in case anybody yeah. out there is getting terrified yeah, about yeah, what yeah. we're describing right that's yeah. A, yeah. So like after the first few weeks, right, sort of you, the body becomes accustomed, right, to this right. new relationship. And there's just so much, I think, like theological beauty to the the nursing relationship. Oh gosh, so much. Yeah. And, and also sort of we, you know, linked with it, with this conversation, we um, talked about sleep, right? Because mm-hmm. as every mother knows, who has tried, um, <laughs> it's very hard to get a baby to sleep without breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. right? And even once you've done that, you can't really get the baby to sleep in a separate room, like on a separate (laughs) There's a lot there. Yeah, Yeah. so so yeah, I mean, there's, I think there are very interesting sort of theological connections here too, to the fact that babies are so dependent on us for for even something so basic as sleeping, right? Which is like, which is the best thing and the worst thing and the hardest thing and the easiest thing and all of that all wrapped up in one. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's all wrapped up in one. I mean, there's no other way to describe it, right? Right. That that one feels both like so blessed and so sometimes so miserable, right? Right, exactly, um, exactly. Oh, I love that this this course has come together and it's a brand new course. Um, So do people on the outside have access to this? I thought there were videos or something like that. that Yeah, I mean, so I've, yeah, so I um, did a a few podcasts um, describing sort of a bit more detail of this content um, with Annie Schlater, who used to be our media consultant. And uh, so they are available on, uh, I think it's called Buzzsprout, Ave Maria's, I think they should be available on Apple and iTunes as okay, well. I'll make um, sure I get those. Yeah, those links to be able yeah to but I think people. I think that, yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, it's the sort of course that is just so interesting. Like I honestly have not never taught a course before that I thought was just so like every single session was endlessly intriguing and right. There was just so much to talk about and so right. much to investigate. And yeah, I've gotten a lot of emails actually from people who some are alumni and then others are just, you know, moms who heard about it somehow. And they've asked me. And so like, I mean, yeah, I am hopeful that like we might be able to offer some kind of condensed version of it um, online because yeah, I mean, I know like your daughter, Julia, like pursued really, really interesting thesis. Like a number of people in the class actually were interested in sort of the political Mm -hmm. um, placement of motherhood, right? So like, what is the role of mothers in political society? And how do we understand motherhood sort of as foundational to the family, really? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I know um, that was a very, that and like the economics and feminism, right? Looking at abortion and contraception in new ways, right? Sort of was all part of this. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm I'm so excited about this course. I'm so excited that Ave Maria is investing in topics like these that are really formative for the future of the church, the future of our families. I'm excited to share this with all of our listeners. So folks, go to the show notes at ascensionpress.com and we will have all of the stuff linked up there for you to get access to everything that you can with regard to this philosophy of motherhood course that is available at Ave Maria University. My guest today has been Dr. Janice Chick Breidenbach. Dr. Breidenbach, I'm thrilled that you're able to join us here on Girlfriends. Thank you so much for taking the time to share about your philosophy of motherhood. (laughs) Thanks so much, Danielle. It's been a real pleasure. All right, coming up, we've got more of the show for you, but first we're going to take a quick break. I'm Danielle Bean, and you're listening to the Girlfriends Podcast. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista. When I became Catholic, I had a really hard time understanding the role Mary was supposed to play in my life. So I went to her and I told her, I just don't get it. I need your help. And guess what? Mary did just that. She showed me a way to pray that has revolutionized my entire life. Mary has been called the mother of listening. She didn't just hear the word. She knew how to hear it in light of her own relationships, circumstances, and habits. And then she let the word transform her. I realized that I had to share what I was learning about Mary's way of praying with others. So I wrote How to Pray Like Mary, a step-by-step guide to discovering God's voice in the scriptures and letting Him transform your heart. 
I invite you to learn more about how to pray like Mary at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. Hey, welcome back. I am excited to be diving into chapter five of Whisper here in our mini book club. So if you haven't yet gotten your copy of Whisper, you can go to ascensionpress.com. You can follow the link in the show notes that are also available at ascensionpress.com. Or if you can't remember to go there, you can text the word girlfriends to 33777 and you can get subscribed to the show notes. That way it's super convenient. You never miss an episode and all the links and stuff that I share, all the different resources, people I talk to, links for more information are always going to be available to you in your inbox. They get sent right to you. It's super convenient. So just text the word girlfriends to 33777. All right. So I hope you do have your copy and I hope you're reading along as we go here. So In chapter five of Whisper, which is titled Slowing Down, Seeking God in Stillness, I talk about the art of meditative prayer and the fact that we are made for communion with God, which is what prayer is. It's our relationship with God. It's connection with God, communion with God, and that we're made for it. But sometimes it can feel challenging. And it can feel like maybe we're not made for it. Um, I recently had the opportunity to um, travel down to the Bronx to record a few different episodes of um, some videos with Father Mark Mary with the CFRs down there. And those are, I don't I don't know if by the time this, this episode publishes, if they'll be available yet on his YouTube channel, but you can be looking for them there. What a lot of fun to record with Father Mark Mary. What what a wonderful person he is. So warm, so welcoming. Dan and I traveled down together. Dan was kind enough to drive me into the city. And uh, we spent the night at the friary. We went to morning prayer and mass there in the friary and then spent the day working on recording some videos. Anyway, all of that's an aside. Um, getting to the point that in that video, one of the videos that I recorded with Father Mark Mary talking about prayer, establishing a habit of prayer, is sometimes um, what I shared in that one was that sometimes we we use this this idea that we get distracted in prayer as almost an excuse to not even try it in the first place. And the story I shared there was of a friend of mine who um, was talking to me about running. She knew that I enjoyed running; it was a regular part of how I was exercising. And and she said to me once. I really want to be a runner. And I've tried it a few times. I've tried going running, but I just get so out of breath. And, you know, I was like, you know, what? That's, that's part of it. Like, what do you mean you get out of breath? So that means you can't run. That's part of it. It's part of it. And yeah, that can get easier and you can learn to manage that and you get stronger and you get less out of breath or you learn how to handle that feeling of being out of breath. But that is part of it. And that also applies to prayer. Like, so if you say like, oh, I'd like to pray, but I just get so distracted and then just kind of move on, you know, that's part of it. And you can get better at it. You can grow stronger in your, your prayer muscles. You can get better at doing it. You can learn to handle distraction better. You can learn to head it off at the past. You can learn to respond to it better when it does happen. All of these things. It's not an excuse to not do it. So you get distracted. So what? Pull your mind back. All even the great saints got distracted in prayer. So I share some of that 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 kind of you know trial and error that we all can experience in our prayer lives and that we can get better at doing it, but we need to make the effort in the first place of doing it. And this really in in chapter 5 I really underscore the point that we're made for this. We are made for this. This is good for us. God doesn't need us to pray because he wants to hear us talk to him. Of course, he wants to hear us talk to him, but he doesn't need it. God doesn't need us at all. We need to pray. This is for our own good. This is why Jesus set the the example of going away to pray. We see him go away to pray so many times in the gospel stories. And what's that all about? You know, Jesus is God. Does he need to pray? No, he didn't need to pray. He wanted to set that example for us of the human need to pray that we're made for this connection with our creator and that it takes it does take effort though and it can be a discipline and it's not always going to feel like all hearts and flowers you're not always going to hear the angels singing when you make the time for prayer but it is something you can get better at doing and it is something you can get better at making time for in your life at making the effort of making it happen on a regular basis we're made for it so in chapter 5 just in closing here, a a quotation that I share from St. Alphonsus is, quote, in meditation, God is sought after by a discursive effort. In contemplation, there is no effort of this kind as God has been found and is gazed at. 
I think that's such a beautiful quotation because it kind of sets up what the goal is in prayer, right? Many of us are stuck kind of in that discursive effort, meaning like a scattered kind of effort where we're distracted. And yet in that meditation, in that discursive effort, in making that effort, we're moving toward contemplation, which he describes as no effort of this kind. And I love that description of it where God has been found and is gazed at. You know, in Ignatian spirituality, there's this practice of receiving the gaze of God, kind of entering into prayer by receiving Jesus's gaze, his loving gaze, and returning it. That's a beautiful way to approach prayer, a beautiful goal to have in your prayer life. So that's just one little part of what I share in chapter five of Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday. I hope you have your copy. If you do, I'd love to hear from you, what you're thinking, what you're what you're working on as you're kind of working through these chapters. And um, here's a little side note. If you did not pre-order, so you didn't get the free companion journal, you can email me. This is a little secret for members of the podcast community here. You can email me. It's not too late. I can send you a free copy of that companion journal. Just email me and let me know that you would like to have it. Send me an email, danielle at daniellebean.com. That journal really is a nice way to kind of work through the book on your own or together with a girlfriend or with a group of women. You know, maybe you belong to a women's group. This book would make a great resource for you to think about, you know, as we're thinking, making plans in the fall. Many of us are in that at that point in our summer right now where we're kind of looking ahead. It's not here yet. Summer's still, you know, we're still in the throes of summer, right in the midst of it. Uh, But if you're looking ahead to making plans, maybe with a women's group, Whisper would be a great book to start off your your fall season with. So Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday, available at ascensionpress.com. Once you get your copy, definitely let me know your feedback. You can connect with me through email, danielle at daniellebean.com or on social media, especially Instagram. I'd love to connect with you there. I'm Danielle Bean on Instagram. All right, that's all we have time for today, but I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank Dr. Janice Breidenbach for being part of today's show. And most of all, I'm just grateful for your presence, for you making time, for you sharing some of your precious time with me here this week. That is so encouraging, so valuable to me. I do not take it for granted. So thank you for that. And until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a collaboration between daniellebean.com and Ascension, the leader in Catholic faith formation. 